You're listening to All That Matters. I'm Marie Fontaine. And I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. All That Matters tells stories about arts and culture. Each week we take small bites out of a big question. Today, well today Marie, we have to talk about the Art Gallery of Alberta. Because all around Edmonton, conversations like this one are happening. Uh, hi there, my name is Tammy Friesen. And when the new gallery opened, how often did you go? Uh, when it opened, we were really excited about it, and uh, we had just had uh, children, and we went there quite often. Um, it seemed really family-friendly, and uh, the interior was fantastic for kids. It felt safe and happy, and yeah, we went, uh, we probably would go twice a month on Sundays, usually. Um, on Sundays, I'm not sure if they still do this, but on Sundays they had um, often some special activities for kids, so they could go and do crafts, and sometimes there was music there, and so it was just a a good thing to do, especially in the wintertime. And now, how much would you say you go? How often? We're not going as much as we used to uh, because the when we went, the exhibits didn't seem to be changing at a, at a very good rate for us. And so the kids like to see new, see new things. And in particular, the kids exhibit, um, they'd keep the same exhibit for quite a long period of time. And so it just wasn't interesting for them. Um, and it's partly just the age my kids are too. The Edmonton Art Gallery, as you probably know, was reborn as the Art Gallery of Alberta in a brand new building in 2010. It's often called the AGA. Uh, Marie, do you remember the old building? I actually don't because I was living in Germany for a long time, and that's not such a good thing. One should really remember an art gallery in a city, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was part of an architectural style that was a little intentionally unmemorable, I think. It was called like this brutalist style. It was this big, hulking concrete thing. And a lot of people did think it had charms, but it also had bad climate control problems, and people wanted a more exciting space, something more worthy of big exhibitions. So a new building uh, was built, and with all of its glass and metal ribbons, it did actually get a lot of people out. Memberships in 2010 more than tripled. And around 107,000 people attended that gallery. They, wow. They, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but since then, attendance has mostly been dropping. A lot of people come for catered events and talks, but actually, actual gallery attendance in 2015 was down to about 50,000 people. That's less than half of what it was when the new gallery opened. So today on All That Matters, we're asking why attendance has dropped and what the gallery could do about it. We'll talk to folks from two different art galleries with ideas about what the AGA could do. And we'll talk to an Edmonton City Councillor about why he voted against funding one of the AGA's proposals. But first, let's have a look at what the situation is. So you got in touch with the AGA for the story, right? Yeah, and they were actually really forthcoming. Um, so first off, they have a theory on why attendance has been going down. And what's that? Uh, well, one of the ideas is that um, the gallery's executive director and chief curator, Catherine Carson, has said that they anticipated there'd be a gradual drop-off after the excitement of the new building wore off. You know, people's curiosity has been kind of sated. Oh, we saw it. Cool. Um, the gallery's actually doing okay financially. They've been running surpluses on the day-to-day -day costs of running the gallery, and uh, they're trying some new things. Uh, so one of the big experiments they wanted to try was offering free admission. What does it cost to get in right now? Right now, it costs twelve fifty for adults, eight fifty for students and seniors. Little kids are free. So maybe we should all be little kids. <laughs> <laughs> no. So do they think the cost might be a barrier? Uh, they do, and they have some evidence to back that up because every once in a while, they have corporations help them pay to make it a free day, and admissions go way up. Um, the Edmonton Public Library started offering free membership again a few years ago, and people loved it. So trying out free admission is one of the ideas that the AJ had for getting more people out in their new 
strategic plan. And in December 2015, they asked Edmonton City Council for an extra $250,000 a year for three years to make it happen. So what happened? City Council turned them down. I called Councillor Andrew Knack, who voted against the proposal, to ask why. Councillor Knack, just to set the table, what did the AGA ask from City Council in December 2015? So they were asking for funding to be able to offer uh, free admission on a regular and ongoing basis, uh, which is something that the uh, sort of expanding on a program they offer usually on a once-a-month basis right now where they have that free admission in the evening. Uh, they wanted to see if they could take that model and expand it, like we've seen in a lot of other art galleries uh, across the world where they offer free admission with a suggested donation. And you decided to vote against that proposal why did you decide to vote against it? Well, and this is the, the tough part about our budget this year, and, and everyone knew that uh, we were trying to show as much restraint as possible, and, and it was less about uh, the proposal put forward by the HEA, which I actually felt was a, was a good idea. I, I think moving to the free admission model and suggested donation is a, is a better approach to, to drive attendance. Uh, I also think it's an opportunity to get a lot more corporate sponsorship, which is uh, something that happens in a lot of the other cities, uh, from my understanding, where you have free admission. The challenge is, frankly, we didn't have enough money to go around for every priority. Uh, and going through the list of amendments that we had on on our uh, on the table, uh, I didn't feel that one made the cut compared to, for example, something that was of similar cost. We had to fund uh, using our one-time funding uh, some of the end poverty Edmonton work. Uh, we also had a request uh, through our one-time funding, and this is what the AGA was asking for through the one-time funding for, uh, to create our Southwest Ribbon of Green Master Plan to make sure we can better protect our uh, River Valley space in the Southwest part of the city. So for me, it was actually just looking at, at all of those options that were on the list and saying what's what's most important to me. And so it's not that this wasn't a good plan. It's just, I don't, for me, it didn't make the cut compared to the other priorities on that list. So, I mean, all politicians have to say this. There were lots of good requests, and this just wasn't the highest priority. But the AGA is bleeding visitors right now. I mean, the AGA has tried to get ahead of some of the framing around this. Um, some of the media stories around the time they asked for that funding said that it, they were in an emergency situation. This was emergency funding. So both they and city council say this was not an emergency funding request. But, I mean, a 50% drop in gallery attendance does seem to be a, a pretty urgent issue. So I asked Councillor Knack, will city council be helping fund free admission of the gallery next year or maybe the year after? Well, I think, is, is it certainly on the table? I would say yes. I, I just think it's a matter of trying to find where that money is going to come from uh, without having to go back to the tax base. And uh, so I do think it's an opportunity. There, there would be an opportunity. What I hope is explored prior to that is, is uh, really digging into uh, a lot of the corporate support across the city to see if we can... Uh, drum up that necessary financial support uh, through them because ultimately the, the funding we were going to provide was not meant to be ongoing. Uh, it was meant to get the, sort of get the program started and then they would supplement the, uh, the funding that we would provide uh, in future through corporate sponsorship. So if, we, if this helps maybe just spark that funding early on, then we might not need to worry about the city's funding uh, 
portion. Uh, but if in a year it comes back and they've had no success getting in touch with people, and if uh, if there's some opportunity within our operating budget to, to shift around some funding, then I, I think it's something I would absolutely consider. Um, I just want to make sure that we've explored all the other options. So just to decode what he's saying here, basically what he means is, please, somebody else pay for this. Please, please, somebody else. From your perspective, do you think the AGA is in a crisis? Well, that was what the report was uh, immediately after that vote. But then the AGA themselves responded to say that they, they didn't feel they were in crisis position. So uh, I, I tend to default to the, the people running the show there. And, uh, and if they feel comfortable that uh, they're not in a crisis mode, then I think we do have uh, time to look at other available options. Um, Obviously, if, if they did feel they were in crisis, then we might have to have a separate conversation. But um, I, I think we're I think we're okay. I think things got blown a little out of proportion as, as they can occasionally during budget time because not everyone gets everything they come in for asking. Uh, so sometimes the, the reaction in the media can be a little bit uh, uh, a little bit strong. Hmm. Um, what role do you think the city of Edmonton should play in helping turn the AG around? Well, you know, the city's provided funding for for the AGA for some time, and uh, and I do absolutely feel there's a role with the city to provide funding for for the arts and in particular the AGA. Um, so so it's not an argument of, of the city should get out of the game of funding the arts. I, I think that's a, that's a flawed approach, I, and I and I don't think anyone. Uh, I, I don't want to speak for the other five councils that voted against, but I I didn't get an indication that anyone felt the uh, AGA should get zero funding or zero support. Uh, it just wasn't something that made the priority. So going forward, again, I think the, the city of Edmonton should continue to fund, uh, you know, all all of our arts and cultures through uh, the Edmonton Arts Council and, and support necessary to to make sure there's uh, there's opportunities for people to experience great things with throughout the city. It's just a matter, again, of uh, unfortunately this particular one didn't make the priority list uh, of of everything that was on that list, and a lot of other things didn't make that cut uh, either. So it's again nothing against. Uh, the AGA specifically, it was just prioritizing. Does it does it ever like needle you in the back of the neck, like that they're right across uh, Churchill Square from you guys? <laughs> yeah, I pass it every day on my bike to and from work, so it's uh, it's absolutely something that you know it was it was not an easy vote by any means. I, I mean, I didn't do it. I didn't do that filled with joy to, to vote against it. It was. Uh, it was just again uh, looking at everything else we've been asked to do and and having to make the call and yeah it made that that particular day that, that ride home past the art gallery a little bit harder and particularly the next morning um, but that, again it comes back to that that's part of what what we have to do if assuming we wanted to stay at a whether or not you consider 3.4 percent tax increase relatively low um, but if we wanted to keep it at that relatively low number there there had to be some things that weren't going to make it through. Thanks to Edmonton City Councillor Andrew Knack for speaking with us. You're listening to All That Matters. I'm Marie Fontaine. And I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. Today we're asking why attendance is dropping at the Art Gallery of Alberta and what they could do to bring people back. So, Chris, City Council turned down the AGA's request to help them pay to offer free admission to the public. So, is the gallery still going to try to do it? Well, I reached out to ask them, and their communications folks said, essentially, maybe if they can find another way to pay for it. 
but it's only one of a bunch of ways that they're trying to make the gallery more accessible. So one of the other ideas was uh, making it easier for people with mobility and visual impairments to access the gallery and interact with stuff there. Uh, teaming up with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, so people who are going to see a concert can check out the gallery first. And teaming um, up, uh, oh right, uh, one of the reasons their free nights might be so popular, this was the theory, uh, is that maybe it's just because they're at night. Um, and it's hard for people to go to the gallery during the day. So they're going to try to adjust their hours to be open more on summer nights and a little earlier on weekends. All right. So we know about a couple of things the AGA is trying. Let's expand our imaginations a little. When we were thinking about who to interview for this show, we thought it would be a good idea to talk with other art galleries in the city. So our correspondent, Liam Cody, went to Latitude 53. It's a nonprofit gallery in downtown Edmonton. He spoke with the executive director of the gallery, Todd Janes, and that conversation focused on focused on accessibility and why it may be important to the AGA and Edmonton Visual Arts. I think one of the things when, was when we moved into this space a little over two years ago, we really wanted to have a, a, a site that was a lot more accessible um, and a, a space that everyone in Edmonton, well not everyone, that's a bit broad, but people in Edmonton could really feel it as a kind of a safe, accessible gathering space to engage in um, contemporary art and ideas. And then making the word accessible being kind of like the key word in that sentence too. Maybe, yeah. I think it's before we were for 10 years in a second story space without an elevator. Um, and, and that's kind of hard when you're a progressive organization that tries to reduce barriers for everyone. So that was a pretty big physical barrier. Um, you know, but there's other ways of accessibility too. Um, we try really hard um, to have all of our programming free, so anyone can come. Um, it's if they like it and they have the means, they can give us a small donation or a really big one, like a large <laughs> check or something. One of those giant ones that you get for winning the lottery. Yeah, when Ed McMahon was still alive, he could deliver it. Now he's dead. So maybe Brian Seacrest. I don't know who brings them now. Um, they, they, they probably have like a list of people that are yeah, like on call. Drew Carey, maybe, yeah. or something. <laughs> I don't know who the Edmonton equivalent would be. Don Ison. Very billowy voice. Yeah. We, you know, I think even if if we had an admission, we would still look at not turning anyone away because they didn't have money. Uh, and I think those are part of our values. And I think also um, it's important that uh, there are spaces for people to gather to talk about ideas and. Um, when we look at that in Edmonton, we have some universities, but we have libraries, which anyone can have a membership. Um, and But there aren't a lot of municipal gathering spaces in our city. Mm -hmm. um, for like certain groups of people? Or I, think, I think for anyone. Like if we look at other cities, there's often um, like a, a city designated theater or an art gallery or a public square. We have Sir Winston Church Square, but that's not necessarily 
um, great for the changes in weather that we have and it's pretty concrete so when it's pretty bright in the summer it's even hard to figure out where the steps are mm -hmm. um, you know but I think Edmontonians are pretty awesome and, and we rally around that I mean like if you think about the the gazebo park just off White Avenue a lot of people gathered there for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I think those places are important and I think maybe thinking of the Edmonton Public Library as, a, as an example around that, like that's something City Council and I think that's something for the most part the citizens of Edmonton um, have supported, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you can use it, it's a great place for um, learning, gaining knowledge, accessing mm -hmm. movies, magazines, books, mm -hmm. all types of printed and digital matter. You and can use the internet there too. And it's and it's free for all Edmontonians too. Absolutely. You, so like, it, it goes kind of back to the accessibility. Yeah, I mean, for a while I think it, there was a membership and you could pay it and it was pretty nominal. It was like $12, $15 a year, but you could have access. Um, and I think that type of model um, could be maybe well used for something like the Art Gallery of Alberta. I mean, they've changed their name. They used to be the Edmonton Art Gallery for a long time. And now they're the Art Gallery of Alberta with probably a larger mandate. Um, and I, I, I think probably there's a couple of barriers, obstacles, why people go there. You know, I, I think part of it with the Art Gallery of Alberta is um, there has to be ways to make their programming maybe a bit more accessible to people. And I don't mean dumb it down or anything like that. Um, so I, I feel that uh, it would be important in Edmonton that we have a a greater curatorial diversity in the city like a lot of the exhibitions and projects that are developed in the city are developed probably by a handful of people um, and I think it's important to look at a diversity of voices and approaches to that um, and, and I, I'm, I'm very proud of the programming that we do at Latitude because I think our programming um, includes writers and artists uh, and other creative people that um, is a better reflection of the, the diverse makeup of the city. Um, and I think it's important to show young artists um, artists maybe with disabilities, artists of different ethnocultural backgrounds, artists of different orientations and outlooks, because then you reflect a greater portion of the city. You're listening to All That Matters from CJSR. Thank you to Latitude 53 Executive Director Todd Janes for speaking with us. Well, while we're exploring what other galleries have tried to do to get more folks in the door, we also heard about some really interesting ideas from a museum in California. Nina Simon is the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History's Executive Director. Nina also runs a blog called Museum 2.0. She graciously answered a few questions about her museum strategies to attract larger and more diverse audiences. 
What is one of the biggest challenges your museum is facing at the moment? Our museum's in the midst of an expansion of our programs, and not by adding more galleries or educational activities inside the building, but by expanding our programming out into a public square next to the museum. And so it's a time of a lot of growth and change for us, and fundraising and the design and the community input has all been terrific, and now we've got to build the darn thing. And so we're in that time um, that any small business that's growing struggles with, where there are a lot of exciting things, uh, a lot of balls in the air, and a lot of opportunity ahead of you, and we're just trying to make sure that we execute on the vision and the community goals um, in a way that really delivers um, on the public value we're all looking for. Okay, that sounds good. So what about the, the audience then that is coming to those new kinds of experiences that you're creating? Our museum, um, I've been here as the director for about four and a half years. When I came to the museum, we had a fairly, what I would consider to be a traditional uh, audience for a regional art and history museum, mostly um, students and then retirees. And over the last few years, we've worked incredibly hard to not just expand the number of people who come, but the diversity of people who come. And so we're now at a place where our attendance has about quadrupled in that time, and um, um, our audience reflects the age diversity of our community, the income diversity of our community, and we're working very hard on the ethnic diversity as well. So we really believe that art and history culture is for everyone, and we don't want to be a place that only provides those experiences to some people. So um, we feel um, thrilled that our audience is very diverse um, and is very local. 92% of our visitors um, live here in our county, even though Santa Cruz is a tourist destination for people from around the world. Could you give us an example of how you drew in uh, one of those different types of groups? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we really believe that creativity um, is for everyone, that everybody has curiosity about art. Everybody, um, when it comes to history, wants to know more about where they came from and why things are the way they are. And so we've just taken a lot of different programmatic formats to be able to explore those issues that are really at the heart of what a museum is about. So, for example, we do a program called Pop-Up Museum, where um, anywhere out in the community, we will work with a group to create a museum that exists for just a couple hours on a theme. And so one of the very first pop-up museums we did was actually the night before Valentine's Day. We did it at a bar, and the theme was F My Ex, and people brought objects related to failed relationships. And so you came to this bar, you brought your artifact, you wrote a little label or a story about it, and then you were sharing socially around that. And a lot of things about that program, um, the fact that it happened in a bar, the fact that it kind of had this cheeky theme that, you know, relates to romantic relationships, um, and the fact that it's this ephemeral event-based experience really spoke to a very different group of people that might come to a museum. That said, the activity they were doing, sharing, discussing, learning about objects, is really core to what a museum's about. So in a lot of ways, we look at how do we create a format that is relevant and exciting to a different group of people, but gets at that core content and mission that our institution is about. Hmm, that actually sounds fascinating. I would have wanted to be there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, so... um, So moving away from an elite um, group of people, so could you tell us about the concept of museum gallery spaces that are shifting from 
passive to the participatory experience? Everybody who walks through the door of a museum or really of any building has something to contribute to the experience they're in. They may not be a professional artist or a professional scientist or historian, but they have a lot to share. And I think that um, we build the strongest museums and cultural institutions when we invite people not just to be consumers of what happens in the museum, but really to be co-creators and collaborators. That doesn't mean turning the museum over to um, visitors entirely, but it means inviting their voice and their stories into the space. So, for example, um, we did an exhibition a couple of years ago with an artist named Belle Yang. She's a Chinese, um, Taiwanese-American artist who had uh, made a set of paintings about her story as an immigrant. And we, while we were developing that exhibition, invited people from our community to share their own immigration stories and objects. And we made a wall in the exhibition full of um, these objects and stories, as well as just suitcases that were donated by people in our community, just telling that story that immigration and travel aren't just the story of this artist, they're our story too. It's really about inviting people to deeply connect with the work, with the objects, with the stories on display in a way that really speaks to their experience and um, and, and their hopes and dreams as well. Hmm. So that invitation, how how do you do that? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think so pe- So often people, I know I do this, walk into museums a little bit fearful, you know, with a little bit of trepidation and a sense of, am I going to be stupid? You know, am I going to understand what's going on here? Are they going to talk down to me? And so you really have to shift from the very first moment somebody walks in the door that sense um, to a sense of welcome and invitation. Um, there's actually a, a term that architects use called threshold fear, which is literally the fear you have crossing the threshold into a building. And it may sound crazy if you go to museums often to think that anybody would be afraid to walk into a museum. So, you know, it starts in the simplest ways, greeting people and really welcoming them and saying, oh, I'm I'm so glad you're here and I hope that you can contribute to what's um, going on. And so we try over and over again, both in the design of the space and also how our staff and our volunteers work to really constantly issue that invitation that affirms that people are um, there for a reason that's not just about looking and learning, but is also about making and sharing too. Wow. Okay. Last question for you then. What advice would you give to other galleries like the Art Gallery of Alberta that are having trouble getting audiences to come in the door? I think that any institution needs to be really honest with itself about what your mission is and who you exist to serve. You know, in our case here in Santa Cruz, we decided, you know, our mission is about bringing together our community, and that means we exist to serve everyone, and so we are going to work incredibly hard to invite everyone to feel welcome in this space. What at the heart of what we do is about welcoming in those people. How do we make those connections as authentic and meaningful as possible? Thanks to Nina Simon of the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History for providing us with some inspiring ways of solving the problems art galleries and museums are facing around the world today. For more information, check out the museum's website at www.santacruzmah.org or check out our blog at museum2.blogspot.ca. That's museumtwo.blogspot.ca. Yeah, so thinking about what the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History is doing, thinking about what the Art Gallery of Alberta is doing, how uh, how do you feel about our scale of ambition here? 
Uh, a little disappointed, I must admit. I mean, I, I went to the new art gallery for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I was really impressed with the building itself and also the art exhibits in there. I thought it was, was very inspiring, and um, it was one on, on the free night, I must say, so I was being like a child, uh, going in there and getting the art for free. But um, I knew that I wanted to go back right away. Um, so I just feel that there's not enough maybe communication to the public, um, so the marketing um, maybe has to be a little bit more imaginative, um, not not necessarily relying only on um, you know the internet to get the the message across, but maybe more banners around the city, maybe some kind of a an event that would just be to publicize the place a little bit more and connections. I like the connection with the symphony orchestra, but what about maybe more connections with local culture centers? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that Valentine's event in uh, Santa Cruz sounded fun. Yeah, definitely something like that, like connecting with places that not only have anything to do with culture, but like a bar or a cafe or a restaurant and doing it just for two hours, I think that's really, really imaginative and it'll stick in people's minds. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for this week on All That Matters. Thanks to our reporter Liam Cody for his story today. And thanks to the Art Gallery of Alberta's Nikki Van Dusen and Tracy Stewart for helping a lot with the research for today's episode and answering our questions about what the gallery is trying. All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Our theme music is by Tokashi Teru. We love it when you write to us, tweet at us, and let us know what you thought of the show. We're at ATM CJSR. Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook, and our email address is allthatmatters at cjsr.com. Our website is allthatmatters.cjsr.wordpress.com. Uh, Check us out on iTunes, too. I'm Chris Yang and Phillips. And I'm Marie Fontaine. Thanks for listening. 